two. And hold on a second. That's unmute. And we should be going. How's it going, real dealers? Is your man Philip Hall? And I'm Terrell Bird. And together we are the Real Deal Bros. Welcome to yes. and our podcast. We hope everybody is doing well this evening. We hope everybody's all right. Hopefully you are wearing your mask like we have been mm-hmm. included with you on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. But out of all seriousness, we hope everybody's staying safe during these wonderfully new times, even though they may be a bit trying. But let's get to it. So, Philip, what's going on with these with this new race that's coming up, man? Well, I mean, dude, like, uh, just to get into tonight's discussion, uh, we are going to be talking about a very historic race at that. And, um, yeah, and also every year this race is the kickoff for the motorsports season for all those race fans out there. You know, of course, you know, real dealers, pretty sure everybody's listening, you know, in the, right, in the like, auto racing, you know, whether it's NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, and so, like, we talk about it. But um, yeah, but this is kind of like a, I guess you could say this is like a combination of, you know, a lot of drivers from different motorsport disciplines coming together to compete against each other for a watch, pretty much. So they have, they're all racing each other for a watch. Supercar but, drive coming in, right? Uh, yeah, it's like they're like maybe racing some sport cars, but um, yeah, it's not, but again, it's just, this isn't just any watch. They're racing for a Rolex. Let's see, I got the name right here. They're racing for a Rolex Oyster Perpetual Cosmograph Daytona. And this people, this race is the Rolex 24 hours of Daytona, like scheduled to scheduled for tomorrow at 1230 Pacific time, 330 Eastern time on the BC. So yeah, make sure you guys go out and watch that. But we definitely want to gear you guys up for the race for those who choose to watch it. But um, even even if, even if you're not like a huge motorsport fan, I definitely suggest that you do check out this race because it's very interesting. Again, these guys are going to be going for 24 hours, like a whole day, just just mm-hmm. racing for a race for a Rolex, and it's definitely worth it. But um, you know, I guess kind of before I go a little bit deeper into just uh like the the race and everything like that, what to expect, you know, who to watch out for. Um, I kind of want to touch a little bit on just the history of the race. So, uh, the first 24 hours of Daytona started back in 1962. It was just a few years after Bill France Jr. himself, or uh, excuse me, Bill France Sr., um, founder of NASCAR, uh, after he just built the Daytona International Speedway, home of, you know, the spec, like many racing spectacles, not just the 24 hours of Daytona, but of course, you know, for NASCAR, the Daytona 500, which is also said to be uh, come up in the next few weeks. But um, yeah, back in 1962, you know, they set out to have kind of introduce um, America into endurance racing through just sure mechanical knowledge. You know, you had guys like AJ Foyt, Carol Shelby, um, try, like, you know, a few other, few other well-known racing legends compete in this race and even on the team that actually won this race. Um, yeah, and of course, you know, the, 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 the race has had different names over, over the time. Uh, it's been called the Daytona three-hour continental. It was only a three-hour race, and you had the Daytona 2000, uh, 2,000 kilometers, uh, 24 hours of Daytona. This kind of like its well-known name. Six hours of Daytona, 24 hours uh, Pepsi Challenge, and Sunday 24-hour uh, Daytona, and now currently under the name the Rolex 24-hour at Daytona, just under you know the Rolex banner. 
But yeah, you know, so it's, you know, it's a really, it's a very popular race for many motorsport fans. A lot of fans know about it. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know, let me ask you, Terrell, like how many times have you like heard or even seen about the 24 hours of Daytona? Oof, I stopped counting, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a... Out of all seriousness, though, um, I've heard it pretty much on YouTube, Spotify. I've even heard it on the Pandora. And if I could actually remember the amount of times I've heard about this, I say almost about 600. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, you know, I, I think. Durham are hella excited about this. Mm. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, of course, North Carolina, huge hub for a lot of all sport. Or there's actually a lot of teams that are competing tomorrow. So most of them are based out of North Carolina. I mean, you got Chip Ganassi racing, you, know, you got, uh, you know, Ricky Taylor racing, you know, like a lot of, like a lot of well-known teams, the sports teams, maybe, I, I guess, you know, if you, if you focus a lot more on certain um, motorsport disciplines, whether if you're an F1 fan or a uh, NASCAR fan, you might be familiar with some of the names that are involved in the IMSA series or well, it's, it's relatively known as the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship Series. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's, I, I guess the one issue that the that IMSA kind of has struggling with, especially marketing for like the race like the Rolex 24, is really I think they just don't get enough marketing behind it. You know, like it's a big event. You got a lot of big name drivers that will be mentioned later on the show that are going to be competing in the 24 hour, hour or the Rolex 24. And uh, you know, I just I wish like the fanfare was a little bit bigger earlier the fanfare isn't as big as it is today than how it was when the event was first started or when it was back yeah. to the popular level and on that note i was actually expecting to hear um to hear from their sponsors mm -hmm. like the, the big fortune 500 companies i was actually expecting like to hear from autozone um let's see pep boys what's another favorite auto shop of mine there's there's so many napa i mean like, I, I was surprised that with Napa, though. Surprised with Napa. I was waiting to hear from them about this 24-hour Daytona. I mean, there are a whole lot of guys, especially us young guys who are my age and yours, mm -hmm. who are sponsored by these companies that I just named off the top of my head. And so it's kind of funny that I didn't really hear everything as much from them as much as I did off of the ESPN Sports Channel that I watch on my laptop every other day, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah, I just, I feel like, well, for now, I think auto racing in a way has been kind of seeing the, like, just, you know, a dominantly white sport and, you know, there's not as much diversity. Well, I guess, like, yeah, if you talk about international diversity, yeah, like, I mean, there's, there's about 20 different countries that are being represented, like, in, in the Rolex 24. Yeah, it's kind of like the same thing with Austin with the um, off-road biking, like dirt bike racing. Mm -hmm. It's like almost the same exact commonality that we come to find, when in actuality, there are actually quite a few young men who look like you and I who are almost, let's see, I think one actually won the state championship, another one won the, um, oh my gosh, what was that cup? I think it was some X game cup that I remember, mm -hmm. from, sponsored by Monster, and that was yeah. like, back in 2017 2018 mm -hmm. that was a race to really behold i think that guy flew off like maybe two feet off the ground yeah, yeah you know i i say for like all disciplines in motorsports i mean like yeah you and me being both motorsport fans yeah i think it's just we just gotta find some way to market it to like a much larger crowd instead of just like you know casual fan i mean yeah casual fans they can enjoy 
these events that come on, but you know, it's just gotta get that well-known fanfare, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to find like actual motorsports fans, it's like finding unicorns. Right, exactly. There's next to impossible. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, but I, I kind of want to like, you know, segue into, because I like how you mentioned, you know, excuse me, I like how you mentioned the companies that are going to be uh, compete or should, should have been like pushing hard to market the Rolex 24 because I, I want to kind of segue into the companies that represent certain, some of the certain drivers that are actually competing in the Rolex 24. Yeah, but um, yeah, we're going to like just, I want to pick out a few notables that I know are going to, that you, you can also look out for in the race tomorrow and mm-hmm. for the uh, like the night as like, you know, the race goes into the night and goes into the next day. But um, mm-hmm. the big well-known nobles, um, I think we're going to start with NASCAR. Let's, let's get into the NASCAR drivers that are going to be competing like in the, in the Rolex 24. So big, big, big name right here. One of my favorite drivers and the defending, yes, defending NASCAR Cup Series champion Chase Elliott is in an entry slot for the Rolex 24. He's going to be driving the Willen racing, uh, racing machine. And uh, yeah, I know Chase, he's a big road course guy. He actually, um, yeah, when, when NASCAR, when NASCAR had, had that revised schedule last year, back in 2020, um, they decided to do the road, a road course race at Daytona in the midsummer. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, Chase Elliott, who's well-known uh, to be to win a lot of races on road course. I mean, he's won Watkins Glen. He's won the Roval. He, all, and he was the first ever NASCAR Cup Series winner uh, like to win a race on the Daytona road course. So knowing that he, he already has an idea of the track he's won before and like, like in his element, I feel like he's going to put up some good, good lap times at the Rolex 24 tomorrow, especially with, you know, a group of guys that he's going to be driving with. They're definitely looking towards him to be the, be the catalyst in their drive toward, towards victory lane. I feel like he has a few more tricks with his sleeve. That's why I call him slide devil chase. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Napa because Napa Alparts being one of Chase Elliott's primary sponsors, Mm-hmm. They don't really have like a like a strong say in regards to you know like him just being in this race. Even though like I feel like there there is like you know you also got to think about like the business side of of the sport. It, you know like uh, if a driver knows that because these are drivers coming from like different disciplines in the sport and like yeah, maybe their sponsors didn't have enough room to maybe get their name on the car or even just like give them a shout out saying, hey, make sure you look at, try to watch out for our guy or for our woman, because there are a few like woman drivers that are competing in the race, the race of tomorrow. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just a business thing, I, I, I guess. And because, well, I know another big story that's coming out and also another NASCAR notable who actually just hung up his tires or hung up his good years uh, last, last season. But Jimmy Johnson, Seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion is running, and I, I believe this is his first his first entry in the Rolex Twenty Four, and he's actually got his own ride. They like they gave him his like gave him his own car. I think I think I forgot retirement. I thought that was just a rumor. Well, no, no, he well he, he he's retiring from NASCAR. Like like he yeah he's retiring from NASCAR. He's, he's going to stop racing NASCAR, but he's actually looking at different racing ventures. He's He's already got a, yeah. He's already got a plan where he wants to race in IndyCar, but primarily on road courses. And mm-hmm. you know, like in this, I guess this is kind of like his training for the road course, uh, road course in IndyCar, do, do race in the Rolex Twenty Four. 
especially oh. you know with a car that like he's like you know has a sponsor name he's already got that one but um long-term sponsor with uh, ally you know like the financial group uh, you know mm-hmm. Al- ally is going to be on this car like he like the car has even got the number 48 you know like number that he's been well acquainted with during his career but yeah jimmy yeah, jimmy johnson man that I found interesting, especially since it's like always been, you know, kind of like the, I'm not going to say backbone, but more of the shadow right behind the scenes of motorsports, Yamaha. Mm. I have yet to even hear from them about this whole 24 hour race because they actually, believe it or not, make car parts, make like um, different auto parts for mm. especially aerodynamic one, like projectiles, especially NASCARs specifically. And I was surprised to know that um, most of the cars that these young folks are going to be racing, Yamaha also had part, had taken part in, especially in terms of engineering. And I was really kind of shocked to hear that, you know, they probably may or may not participate within this 24-hour race. So I'm wondering if it's true. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I know the entry list, you know, you need some requirements. You got to have, like, of course, you got to have the money. You know, the, the run up, you know, they even like build these cars like this. Cause I mean, like, overall, the real deal is listen, I want you to, you know, Google, just just Google WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and like take a look at the cars and you'll see what I'm talking about. I mean, like, these are like high powered machines and you may even see some cars that you might be familiar with, like in the GT class. You know, but even those cars, you know, you still got the best engines, you got the best mechanical work behind it. Um, yeah, you know, it's just, uh, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a very, I, I don't know, like, so like, just the format of the series, I feel like you have to be, like, a real hardcore motorsports fan to kind of have an understanding of what's, you know, what these cars can, can do, because um, I, I guess, like, yeah, be, yeah, be more um, be more specific, um, I'll say, you know, Chase Elliott, Jimmy Johnson, like, they're going to be driving in the Daytona prototype class, so, like, there's about four different Four different classes are going to be on the track. So you got your Daytona prototypes, which are usually, you know, fastest cars on the track. Uh, you know, like like the like largest largest class too. And you got your um, uh, Le Mans Le Mans prototypes, which is similar to the Daytona prototype. And then you got your GT, your GT classes. You got the GT Daytona classes. You know, just kind of like you know your everyday street car, but just modified into like a like real fast sports race car. Then you got your DT Le Mans. Then you got your Le Mans Prototype Three. You know this the the, the third class. Um, but yeah, you know about for like this particular race are the very sharp turns that they're gonna have to make during oh, yeah. the road course. Oh yeah, that, that road course. I mean, like like Daytona, even though it's, it's built in, it's built on an oval. You know, like the road course in the infield is is definitely no turn. Like 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 lanes are real tight. You know, got a lot of you know real tight turns. Got to do a lot of braking, mm-hmm. and then, then like once you got on that banking, then once you get hit the bus stop, it's uh you know you could do a lot with that. I mean, you know, and like these guys are going pretty fast too, because um, you know, there's a section of the track where right when you cross the start finish line, you gotta make this hard, a hard sharp hairpin turn that takes you to the end field, and like and these guys are coming coming through the trial about maybe. So they're chopping out at 170 miles per hour, then they gotta break. Like gotta be in at least like the second gear by the time you hit this hairpin. You know, just like I know like a hundred. Yeah, because I know one thing with these cars is that um, you know, you, you break on too much. You, like 
I, it still surprised me how these cars have like su like such amazing brakes because I like usually when you like say like I, like I want everybody to take note of this when, uh, when you're watching the race tomorrow night. Like mm -hmm. I want you to pay attention when when the camera pans on the car that's going into the hairpin turn. I want you to pay real close attention to the car's front wheel. Like there's an inner part. I, I'm not sure how many real dealers out there know 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 about cars, but you know I'm not like like there's an inner part in in the tire or inside the, inside the wheel or rim. Yeah, 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 the brake plate or like, um, you know, the rotor. Like, mm -hmm. it, it turns like a real bright orange when that, that like, when it turns real bright orange, that's, that's how you know how much tear is is getting on the brakes. You know, like they're tearing the brakes up uh, when they're doing this. And like, yeah. how much brake fluid would that, con would, that um, would that basically consume, I wonder? I mean, I'm pretty sure a ton. And like, and again, like, these are high-powered machines and, you know, they got the best equipment, the best mechanics working on this. And, yeah, but uh, you know, yeah, yeah. That's usually like, like it's, I feel like if you're able to, you know, keep the brakes like, like make sure that the brakes last long, then that's what's gonna keep the car running through 24 hours. Because like again, like this ain't no like road trip drive to you know another state. You know these these guys are running the same course. They got you know get past opponent, they get past the competition. You know they gotta do everything they can to make sure their car crosses the finish line. In a twenty-four hour span, and and it's not just it's not it's not just one driver doing it. Like there's a like for for each team, or for each uh, race team that's competing, they have you know, they have a group of at least four four different drivers that share. You know, like I guess I, I guess you could say they, they share shifts. You know, twenty-four hours you got four drivers. I think at least everybody's doing maybe like a two, three three-hour shift. You know, mm -hmm. just to make it the twenty-four hours. And, um, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, like, yeah, like, you know, a car, like in most cars aren't, aren't built to uh, run for that long, especially race cars, you know, with how much, you know, fluid they're burning and how much braking they have to do and how, like how much handling that you have to put, like put them through. I'm like, yeah, it's a tough, tough race to be in. And that's why, Hey, like, like the Enterprise, that's why like the Enterprise is a, uh, is a Rolex, but, um, and I'm going to be talking about just the, you know, like, just like the aspects and the rapture of the, of winning this race at like later on in the show. What I'm really wondering about is like the equipment underneath the hood because I mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be a scorcher tomorrow for that Daytona. Am I correct, or am I thinking of another location that's taking place? Actually, that's a, that's an interesting question. I actually didn't look at what the weather was going to be like at Daytona. I actually have my phone right here. Let me check. Because, yeah, because, yeah, because yeah, yeah, like the weather does play a factor. So. Because depending on the temperature um, within this event. You don't have to, you not only have to worry about the temperature itself, but you have to worry about the heat of the track and the heat that goes on underneath your hood. Because if your engine goes way too hot, your combustion chamber is probably going to burst and that's going to make mm -hmm. your car go haywire. And I've seen it happen. It's not fun. Yeah, I got the weather, got the weather app right here. So it says that the high tomorrow is supposed to be in, oh, in Daytona, Daytona Beach, mm -hmm. Florida. The high tomorrow is supposed to be 68 degrees, which I guess it's like, I guess I, like, I never been, I never been to Florida. So I guess you could kind of consider that a warm day down there. Yeah. That's okay. Fine. day. So That's pretty good. That's going to, um, that's going to maintain like the mechanical functions of the engine. So that's going to be fine. They're going to be fine. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I guess like that, like that humidity is one thing that you gotta, you know, take care, like watch out for too. That's another and like, over oh, oh, like, look at this, look at this stuff. So, like, right at the end time for the race, right when you hit the 24-hour mark, uh, mm -hmm. the high is supposed to be, let's see, like, race starts at 3.30 and 24 hours, uh, and it's 3.30 tomorrow, 
or 3.30 on Sunday. So the high is supposed to be about 77 degrees around, around finish time at the race. Um, okay. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I feel like if you keep the engine at a cool level, because like, because like, keep this in mind, like when, when it gets night, you know, like the engine, like, like there's going to, it's going to be cool. It's going to be cool at night. So like, you know, it's gonna, I think the low, the low, the low for the night, for the night tomorrow is supposed to be 56 degrees. So when, once you hit that nighttime, you know, you won't have to worry about the car so much, but I think you also have to worry about just the, just the track temperature, just like the track elements, because, you know, mm-hmm. you, you got, you got, there's this field, there's like a field of about, uh, like, uh, I'm going to guess 30 cars, like in, in di- like, of course you got different classes, so 30 cars and everybody's going to be like burning rubber, like rubber pellets on the high, high banks. And, you know, it's just, you know, the track's going to be, the track's going to be a bit of a mess if you got 30 cars driving around it for 24 hours so absolutely you know, like, i wonder how often they're gonna have to change the tires probably like what every other hour or so yeah yeah it's about i think for for these cars i mean it's, again like this is way different than how much you know how much wear and tear it could go say on like a stock car or maybe like a formula mm-hmm. one car i think i think for these cars since they're since most of them that are like high performance cars and they're not using like they're like they're not of course they're not they're not running on like like slicks or nothing like they're using road, they're using like road, road, like standard road tires. So, um, uh, if I were to take a ballpark guess of how how many laps the tires could last on, because like because they don't necessarily count the laps, they just like measure it by time. Uh, for for the, like for this race, it's like it's an endurance race, so you know they're not measuring it by how many laps he like how many laps the races run, like not on like a lap system, they're on a time system, you know, a mm-hmm. clock. So. But if, if we're talking laps, maybe a car, let's see, around Daytona, that's about like when, with the road course, about three point, that's like, uh, like 3.1 miles around the track for each lap. So mm-hmm. I think probably at least 40, I want to say 40 laps, a ballpark guess for how long the tires can stand. You know, like, yeah, again, like there's, there's about eight turns on this course. So, you know, all that constant turning, all that constant ranking. Yeah, definitely wear on the tires. So, yeah, you know, so it's, it's going to be, I say, like about 40 lap, like 40 lap average for how long the tires can last. And, like, the end, but the cool thing is, like, these guys are running on Michelin. So, and Michelin's, you know, very reliable. Yeah, they have a chance. Yeah, they got a chance. They'll be all right. Yeah. Because I was thinking, like, it was going to be like every 38 laps, but I wanted to, like, reconfirm with you because I was thinking it could have been 40, but I was like, Given the climate and the environment, I'm guessing it's going to be 38. Yeah, because like yeah, if you look if you look back at uh, last year's last year's race, um, I think I, I think I think like the elements they were a lot similar to what they're going to be for this year. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah, last year's race it was pretty pretty cool. I mean, yeah, you did have a few wrecks here and there like early in the race, and I know that kind of. I kind of ticked a lot of, lot of guys off that they that they like got knocked out maybe like the first five hours of the race. Yeah. It's so like, yeah, but um, yeah, I guess as long as, you know, but again, like that's, that's one thing you got to watch out for because, you know, even though like everybody's taking different shifts for like when they, like when they're running laps and, you know, you still got to watch out for those drowsy guys because, you know, even though they might be getting some sleep or taking naps between their shifts or break, break during the shift, you know, they're still going to be tired. So, yeah, oh, it's yeah. just, I mean, yeah, these guys are working, it's, it's like a, it's like a nine to five times, times two. So, you know, it's just like, uh, so. Especially like 
Oh my gosh, this 24 hour Daytona is, it kind of gives me a little bit of anxiety. I mean, how many shifts will this guy gonna have to pull? I mean, how many times they're all gonna have to switch out on each quarter? Like, I, I think for each quarter, every guy is probably gonna have to, or every driver, I should say, not, not guys, like there are female, women drivers in the convenience. So every driver is, is gonna at least, I uh, say, compete, or, or say at least do three, three or four shifts. I don't know. Like, uh, you, you might have to, you might have to do the math on this, but yeah, because you know you got you got at least four four drivers a team. Um, you know, twenty four hours. You may, like I can't cause I can't really say that a, every driver gets like six hours uh, of driving because I feel like man, that's a lot of driving. Just thinking about it, man. Mm-hmm. I was like, like six hours, man. Like like six hours. Like, I, I, actually, no, I, I can't see it no, they, because they would have to do some pit stops. I think for every pit stop. Like they'll like you know they'll they'll figure out the time time difference and I was you know, four yeah. and a half hours but then I thought I'd be wrong on that one yeah you know, yeah you you have to do like do the math on that for how long the shifts would, would be um, mm-hmm. I kind of want I kind of want to touch back on the uh, on the entry list because there's some again like we did mention out Chase Taylor Jimmy Johnson we did mention out the that like some NASCAR guys are are going to be in oh you even have uh, AJ Allmendinger um, part time oh, NASCAR hey. driver. And also, also, uh, also, um, Bay Area native too, from Los Gatos, you know, South Bay. I, like, I'm not, I'm not repping, I'm not repping Los Gatos. I'm like, you know, I'm repping Bay Area, so like, you know, like, open, but you know, he's still a Bay Area guy. But yeah, you know, I'm always rooting for him every time he's on the track. But uh, yeah, yeah, AJ Allmendinger. Um, then I guess uh, transfer over into the IndyCar guys that that you might see. Um, we actually have defending IndyCar champion Scott Dixon. Who is going for his uh, sec? Is going for his like trying to repeat the Rolex Twenty Four? He won. He, he mm-hmm. won last year's race. So yeah, Scott Dixon trying to get a get another Rolex for that um, for that night dresser. So yeah, could be you know. his second win possibly. Yeah, possibly. Well, so, yeah, like you know, he's, he's real down on road course. I mean, he's a six-time IndyCar champ. You know, um, yeah. I, again, I was watching watching him a bit last year. Uh, defending the IndyCar champ won won the championship last year, so yeah, I feel like you know he could he could pull out another another win uh, of uh, the twenty four. Um, again, you know the field is pretty stacked this year. Chase Elliott, he's a road course ringer. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, you know he's he's had some good runs in road courses during his NASCAR days. And then I also want to mention for all the longtime listeners of the Real Deal Bros. Uh, you may have came across an episode where I invited uh, up-and-coming up IMSA a driver, Dylan Murray. So Dylan Murray is going to be competing in his first ever Rolex 24 at Daytona this upcoming Saturday. He's going to be in the Le Mans Prototype 3 class race driving for Riley Motorsports. So we definitely want to give a huge shout-out to our, to our uh, Real Deal Bros alum, uh, Dylan Murray, and wish him good luck and like, yeah, you know, like, they go out there and win that Rolex. And also, <laughs> this, this, don't put this aside, too, because, you know, mm-hmm. uh, D- Dylan, I, like, I don't know if you're listening tonight, but if you are, you know, like, you like you win, you win like you win that Rolex, you know, like, my birthday is next week. So, you know, I'm just saying, you know, uh, you send, send your boy, like, like the Rolex, if you win, you know, make it for a dope birthday. <laughs> I'll just say it. But, but, no, no, JK, JK, JK. Like no nah, man, like hold on to that, hold on to that Rolex as long as you can, because yeah, that, that that's definitely worth something. But um, but yeah, <laughs> you see, you see, uh, Terrell, you know, you crack it up over there. I see him. I'm sorry, that just cracked me up, man. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
But that uh, man, yeah, um, and like, hey, remember, you got this, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got, you got it, man. You got. It. Like, we're definitely rooting for you on Saturday and Sunday. You know, like, yeah, definitely. You know, bring it like bring it home. Like, get that, like, get that Rolex, man. It's definitely worth something. But uh, yeah, also to finish off the IndyCar list, uh, we we got um. Alexander Rossi, uh, well-known, like Brickyard, uh, not excuse me, not Brickyard, uh, Indy 500 winner. A few, actually, a few Indy 500 winners in this list uh, for IndyCar. Actually, you know, I got Alexander Rossi, uh, Elio Castroneves, Simon Paginot, Sebastian Bourdais, um, young guy up in IndyCar, and then another Indy, uh, uh, Indy 500 winner, Juan Pablo Montoya, uh, still still going strong. I think, man, like Juan Pablo Montoya, man, he's been he's been around he's been around around the sport for a long time. Oh my gosh. I mean, if you have that guy going in, oh, this is going to be a challenge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah, one problem on Toy, he's like that. He's like a real all around guy. I mean, he, he's done it all. Like, he, he's done NASCAR, he's done IndyCar, he's done Formula One, done IMSA. I mean, and the guy's pushing, like, oh, how, how old is he now? Let me, I'm trying to find, let me, let me find that out. Like, he, like, he's, he's getting gray hair. So, you know, he, you know, he's getting up there. 40 something, isn't he? I'm about to check. Yeah, uh, oh. 45, 45 year, years old, still going strong. Ooh. Yep, we got the OG up the end car. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, o, o, yeah. OG coming in. Uh, I think I, I'm trying to remember if he's won. I gotta see if he's actually won. I, like, I'm trying to remember if he's won uh, uh, the 24 before. Um, yeah, he's he, he, he's a he's common in uh and if so, let's see here. Like, you got any uh, you got any Rolexes at home? I'm um, pretty one. sure this would be like his fourth. Uh, um, yeah, this this isn't his first running. Yeah, he's been actually. Yeah, he's been way back since his NASCAR days. His first, uh, his first twenty four that he competed in, it was mm-hmm. back in. Let's see here. Oh seven. Oh seven was his first entry at the twenty four. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. He won. Yeah. He, he, yeah. He won. Oh yeah. Wow. It was back when uh, he was, you know, the top dog over at Chip Ganassi. So yeah, he's got a, yeah, he's got a few few Rolexes up in that uh, up in that case at home. So yeah, he's definitely, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, this is he's going for, going for his fourth, uh, for his uh, well, fourth Rolex. So yeah, you know, he might he might try to get it. I knew it. I said this would probably be his fourth. Oh, I mean, I mean yeah, he's definitely. I think he's he's gonna try to show those young guys up. Um, again, like like I, like I've always been kind of like a closet Juan Pablo Montoya fan. Um, he, he definitely really was like a trailblazer up in NASCAR. You know, he's he's one of the first few uh, international drivers to be able to race full time. You know, he, like Juan Pablo Montoya, he's based out of Colombia, uh, Bogota, I'd be exact. Um, yeah, my shout out to all my Colombian real dealers out there. <laughs> hey. uh, yeah, but. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, he definitely, you know, it's definitely uh, spread some diversity up in, uh, up in the sport as far as international participation, really, really in NASCAR. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like, it's always good, you know, to see, see him going strong. You know, I, I mean, I, I watched him for a long time. So, you know, it'd definitely be cool to see him pull out another win. Like, uh, you know, it would be cool to see him. And then also just to mention a few uh, IMSA, IMSA front runners, guys that are like big names in the IMSA series. <clears throat> you got uh, Ricky Taylor. Uh, Dan Cameron, you know, a few, few uh, just to name a few. Um, yeah, they're definitely going for. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, Ricky, yeah, Ricky Taylor, yeah, he's solid. He's solid, definitely. Uh, Dan, Dan Cameron, Dan, yeah, Dan Cameron, he's definitely, you know, he's been a been a big name in IMSA 
And, you know, he's definitely had some good runnings. Uh, like, I, I think he won one of the championship a few years back. But, uh, yeah, you know, like I, I just got to say, like, this list this year is definitely jam-packed, and you got a lot of big-name stars, like, going in. I feel like, yeah, this is supposed to be – this is going to be a big year for, for the Relics 24. And, uh, yeah, like, yeah, this, this is, like, the best way to kick off the motorsports season, really. You know, like you got yeah, you got big names like racing uh, racing the Rolex Twenty Four. You know, you got new names coming up competing. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, you're starting to see the youth come alive in the sport. Then you're also seeing you know the veterans just you know getting getting some more experience. You know, ch- just changing their disciplines a little bit as far as racing. You know, it's a good good mix of the NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One guys, and even uh, full time IMSA guys just going at it. So. Yeah, and like yeah, again, like you know, this is definitely a race to check out for those that are like you know starting to get into more sports, want to learn more about the sport. I know I'm, like a lot of people have definitely been wanting to get into NASCAR because of you know what Bubba, Bubba Wallace has been doing on the diversity side. So you know. yeah, man. and I feel like um, with these veterans that are coming in, I feel like they're probably gonna teach like the the young guys a little thing or two about the drive. I say the one the one thing about about of what I like about uh, uh, the Rolex Twenty Four is that when you get that mix of you know big name stars that come from different motorsport backgrounds and you bring them all together, uh, just either race against each other or compete with each other, you know, it de- like you can definitely pick their brain a little bit. I think that's why like that's why I love auto racing so much because it's not just so much like the action and everything like that, but just the like the whole aspect of the sport and just you know that different like the, the different disciplines there are and you know just guys that like say maybe if you're like a NASCAR driver and you're used to just racing on ovals uh, you know you maybe you want to try your hand at road courses and then, you know it's just like you know you get, get a good mix of both because you know you, like you never know like you'll have to use those road course skills that you develop into your discipline as a NASCAR driver or you know even for like for Formula One guys that are like starting to get used to you know, drive, driving on like a mix of a, like I say a roval, like the, the, the term that's usually used for like, you know, like an oval track mixed in with a road course track is roval. So, you know, Formula One guys, they, they, they're used to racing on just standard like uh, road course tracks around the world and even like street courses, which is one thing that NASCAR is definitely trying to get into. Like starting, I think later down the line, NASCAR wants to move more to street course races and they just added a few, um, a few new road course tracks on the NASCAR schedule for this year. They got a circuit of, of the Americas down in Austin, Texas. Um, uh, Road America, new track, uh, the, uh, the Robo over at Indianapolis, the Brickyard, new track on the schedule. And I think the other one is, um, what's, what's the name? What's the name? Um, I know I know they're going to be doing the Daytona road course. They're going to be doing the Robo at Charlotte. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that, that's about it. That's about it. Wait, I almost had the name on the tip of my tongue. I just lost it. Oh my! That's all good. That's all good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like I, I was like, "Team, like, what do you like? Do you think you know a driver's talents could transfer over to like, say, you know, like a different discipline over in the sport? Because I think you're starting to see a lot of that. You're starting to see guys want to branch out a bit. You know, like Jimmy Johnson wanted to go to IndyCar, or Chase Elliott just started getting to you know sport the sports car series. Honestly, um, I feel like if you basically already have the skill set down packed, I feel like you can take this um, this specific discipline to any track that you want. 
almost to any form of a motive sport that you want to. I mean, it's nice to um, basically just stick to one thing, but it's always better to evolve. So yeah, I do believe that a driver's skill can evolve to any track, whether it's on a dirt track, whether it's on asphalt. I mean, pretty much, yeah, as long as you know what to do when you're behind the wheel, you should be fine. Yeah. I, I think yeah, yeah. you do have a shot at it. Yeah, I think, you know, like the transition, because I know like back in the day, you know, guys would want to stick to just one discipline. You know, they just like, oh, if, if, I'm, if I'm doing NASCAR, I'm going to stick to NASCAR. Oh, if I'm doing Formula One, I don't want to stick to Formula One. Or if I'm doing IndyCar, I want to stick to IndyCar. I think, yeah, back in the day, guys just wanted to stick to what they were good at. But I think uh, now, now today you're seeing a lot more diversification as far as the skill set. You know, maybe again, like if you're if you're a good like oval driver, you know, at NASCAR, maybe you want to like you know try try get, uh, build your skills up on the road course, like say IndyCar or Formula One. Um, you know, yeah, like you're seeing a lot of crossovers like within like certain uh, like uh, like all sports like, uh, or um, different disciplines and 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 racing. Yeah, a lot of crossovers. It's not like like I think I think like it's more like crossovers are more common in auto racing than I say in like other sports. I say you know because like like not not like like these days you don't see a lot of um, two sport professional athletes. You know, like back in the day, you know, you had Bo Jackson play both football and baseball. Or yeah, and I um, think uh, Michael yeah, Jordan played basketball and baseball too. Yeah, Michael Jordan, but like the smallest in baseball um, wasn't that good to be honest. But you know, like like when they're like like. At, like basketball was his game but you know even him just trying to get a taste of baseball you know just to fulfill a promise for his for his pops you know mm-hmm. yeah he, like you know like the the, the two sport athlete isn't you know like a it's not it's not a common thing anymore like, like even though like people are trying to make a common thing like it almost we almost did with a Kyle Murray you know like one wanting to play like wanting to play both baseball and football but chose to go for the full-time NFL career yeah. yeah, and believe it or not, I think um, the track star Usain Bolt tried his hand in soccer. Yeah, like Usain Bolt, he wanted to play soccer. Like, you know, like it's... He was good. I'm going to lie. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah but I, I think, you know, like, again, like this, then this is just, this just takes back to the business side of sports. And I know this being a sport management major. Like, like it, it's hard these days to have two sport athletes because, um, you know, because like there's a lot of investments say, you know, guy tries out for like a, a basketball team and he winds up breaking his ankle or breaking his leg and he can't play and he can't play baseball anymore. You know, like, like what, what were his endorsements or the people that endorse him going to say like, man, you should have just stuck to this sport. You know, you could have kept your money, you could have like kept your name and now you just got to, you know, like either play through it or just, you know, stick to one thing. You can't do both. You know, it's like it's hard. It's hard to like ball and stick sports to build or like try to create that two sport athlete. If you're a if you're a marketer or if you're like in like a company that endorses athletes, it's hard to it's hard to try to create that two sport athlete. But in, in auto racing, it's a little bit more easy because you know, yeah, maybe a guy's not not too good at Formula One, but he's still pretty good in in IndyCar. You know, like he's still. You know, you'll still have the mix. You'll still like in the, just the development process. It's it takes a lot. It takes you know about a shorter time to you know like master both like both disciplines. 
but you know, it, but it's compared to say if you know you're good at hitting a baseball, but you're not good at making a three point shot, or you know throwing a, or like throwing throwing a target pass as a quarterback. You know, it's not there. It's it's hard to develop two sport athletes and ball and stick sports, but in auto racing, there you get a little more leeway and you have a little more time to develop like you know like a guy that, that's good on ovals and a guy that's good on road courses. And it's so rare. That's just like uh, a guy saying that instead of playing baseball, he wants to transition into hockey. That's mm-hmm. how rare it is. And it's kind of like, wait, what? You never even heard of it. It's never been done. No, yeah. Like, how, how many people would be surprised if LeBron all of a sudden wanted to play hockey? Like, I mean, like, like people would say, like, oh man, no, like, dude, you're crazy. Like, no, like, like all the money that you've been making playing playing basketball, playing like playing hoops. I mean, you want you want to play hockey? Like, I mean, like, yeah, like people people would think LeBron's crazy, but you never know. But maybe he does actually want to do it. But you know, again, like you know, it just goes back to the business side of sports. You know, like athletes have, have become investments. We we just pumped so much money into the industry, like because like like back in the Bo Jackson days and maybe the Deion Sanders days, like the money it was it was kind of there, but it wasn't there to where. Like, okay, so, you know, yeah, you want to play baseball, right? Uh, you know, say if you get hurt playing baseball, you know, you're going to lose that football money. Or you're going to lose that football contract because, you know, because you took your chances of, like, getting injured in baseball. I'm like, yeah, that's that's what many managers were probably probably weren't saying at the time, but they probably just didn't think all the way through. Even though, like, Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson, they had, they had solid careers doing both. But, you know, it's still – like if you if you were talking to Bo Jackson or Deion Sanders like in, in their prime, if they were playing in their prime today, maybe it would be a whole different conversation. Like you probably wouldn't even think about trying to transition over to baseball or trying to transition over to football if if you decide to. Even with the college athletes coming up now, you know, it's even harder for well, not, I wouldn't say harder, but it's a little bit more easier for college athletes that are two sport athletes. Well, you know, it can be hard and easy depending on what school you go to. If you're going to like a like a big, like a big name school, and maybe like you know, say uh, Stanford or Ohio State. You know, you're playing football there on scholarship, and say like, oh yeah, like, I want to try out for the for the basketball team. I want to try out for the baseball team. Yeah, your your football coach is probably going to be really hesitant, or in, like and disagree with you so much, and and if you try to defend your reason to want to play both baseball or uh, basketball, and uh, instead of you know just prim- so focusing primarily on football. I feel like with college athletes, I feel like they have they have been under far more pressure than the average college student, him or herself. And here's why I say that. One, they're representing their family. Two, they're representing their school. Three, they're technically representing their state. Four, the state and school is expected for them to perform at their highest capacity. If they are not able to do so, not only will they lose endorsements, but they'll basically lose the faith and possibly the scholarship of both their school and their, and basically the love of their own state, the people who basically that they represent. Which and that's, and that's just taking the dual sport route if they want to. Like, like well, this is, yeah, that's just taking the dual sport route. Like, they, 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 like a football team has more to lose than the baseball team would if the star quarterback uh, Ohio State wants to play baseball, or yeah, knowing that he can't, that he's good at baseball, saying like, hey, maybe I can do both. You know, like yeah, you're, like yeah, you're losing the risk. Like the football team is at, at, at a larger risk because you know maybe you were a five star 
recruit coming in. I'm pretty sure, yeah, you, you have to be a five-star recruit you know, playing, playing quarterback, like coming in to play quarterback at Ohio State. So. And when I, when I was playing basketball and baseball, the seasons were um, kind of irregular. Mm-hmm. So, like, even just by virtue of trying to keep up with practice schedules and pretty much, um, pretty much like home and away games entirely, that would just be challenging enough. I mean, that's yeah, schedule, man. Monday and then play the game and then play a game on the next. And, and like, and just like the like wearing your body out that much. Actually, uh, cool story. Cool story. Um, I know we're kind of getting a little bit off topic about racing, but like we'll, we'll get back into it recently. I mean, but, but, but. Oh yeah, but you know it still correlates to, like the, the dual sport or just like the, the like the, the blended disciplines in our racing. It still kind of correlates to that analogy, like the, like the dual sport athlete analogy. So, but yeah, a cool like a cool story. I remember I was reading somewhere that uh, Ken Griffey Jr.'s dad, Ken Griffey Sr., he would like when he when he was a high school athlete before he became a professional baseball player. Um, when he was in high school, he played. I think he played both baseball or basketball. I think he also ran track. They would say that he like at like they would try to schedule schedule his games or uh, the high school baseball team was try to schedule his games when they were having track meets. So Ken Griffey Jr. can go run track, like finish up a meet, and then you know play like still make it in time for to start being starting line for for his baseball game. Like they'll try to like meet like meet at certain at certain places that are nearby so they can be able to do both on the same day. And I was thinking to myself, man, like, how is he able to even do that? Just like, like he's not wore out from the track meet, or he's not wore out from the baseball game, and still, he's still able to do this stuff. I, I mean, it's crazy. I don't really know. I think maybe it may have enhanced his endurance for baseball. I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. You have to run towards the base, and you feel like you're damn near running like a hundred yards for each one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I think also another cool story, like like there were stories like um Reggie Jackson when uh Reggie Jack when Reggie Jackson was uh playing like he, he got a football scholarship to play at Arizona State and um but he still wanted to play baseball. And like what happened was that Reggie Jackson would you know he would go to the baseball team's practices and he would um you know, like like he would he would show up into the field and then he would talk with the coach saying, Hey coach, you know, I might have to take a few swings, do bang practice. And they were like, oh, yeah, sure. But the funny part was, like, he was still in, like, his practice gear for football, and he was still taking band practice in his football gear. Well, well, like, you know, just there's those, like, stories like that. I mean, you know, and you even have stories like that in auto racing, too. Like, say, um, I remember one time, uh, Jimmy Johnson, this was, like, back in 2010. I remember one time, I think Jimmy Johnson, he was he was doing a race at uh, Road America in the IMSA series, and he just, and he just wrapped up doing a like doing like cup series qualifying at Pocono and like he had a guy on a, a, guy on, a on, on a jet plane that take him all the way to, from Pocono Pennsylvania all the way to Elkhart Lake Wisconsin where Road America is located so he could still be able to compete in the race he was doing like like there, there even guys that you hear stories about that would um I guess like around Memorial Day weekend like the, the like three big uh, major sporting events or racing events would take place Memorial Day weekend uh, that that Sunday of Memorial Day weekend, you would have the Indy 500, you would have uh, the Monaco Grand Prix, and you will have the Coca-Cola 600 for NASCAR. And there were and at times there were guys that like would fly out to Monaco, um, do like the double uh, as they would call it, you know, they would fly out to Monaco, 
like do the race in Monaco because of the time difference over, over there. And then they would fly back over here to the States and they would make it in time to still like either do the, like the Indy 500 or the Coca-Cola 600, depending on what, what, you know, what, what discipline they were primarily doing at the time. So, you know, like it's still, even though, yeah, logistically it's not very, it's, it's not very, like very, like, you know, common for drivers to do that nowadays, because again, these guys are, are, are conceived as investments and they may not have time to do this, or they might be restricted in trying to do both because of contract restrictions. So, you know, like it's, it's a, it's, 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 it's like, it's a, it's a teeter totter. So, you know, it's just, you know, you get, you get, you get half of this, you get half of that. Yeah. And God forbid if a company feels like you're violating the bylaws of that contract, and then there's gonna be a lawsuit, right? Ugh. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like again, like they expected the business out of sports, you know. Like, say, guy goes to Monaco. Um, God forbid, you know, this this happens, but say, you know, he gets killed in a crash, and you know, that's all because that actually almost happened on a few occasions too. I remember I read somewhere back in back in 2004, um, Dale Hart Jr. He was uh, he was doing a um, an IMSA race at the Sonoma Raceway, and I. I forgot what where NASCAR was at that time. I think they were they were doing they were at a different track, but still in California. But um, but yeah, Dale Earnhardt Jr. He he actually almost he actually got caught up in a fire when he crashed his car during an IMSA race at Sonoma, and then I think that took him out. That took him out of NASCAR. I think he missed a few races all because of that, because you know he he was injured in that fire, like you know crashed car car got caught on fire, like he he injured him, put him out for a few races on a NASCAR schedule. But you know, yeah, yeah. It was, it, like it's a, again, it's a tough deal. It, it's a tough deal, and you know, it's just, it's like, man, you know, like, like I, I, I wish you know you could see more of that. I wish you could see the two sport athletes, you know, doing doing their thing. But you know, again, it's just it's just about the business side and it's just about treating athletes as investments. Which you know, I think in, in a lot of ways, it's morally, you know, there's a lot of you know moral aspects that come with that, you know, treating athletes as investments, because, like, you know, at the end of the day, they're still human, you know, they still got big bills, they still got raised families, they still got to do all that stuff, but, you know, you, you, at times, you know, why not give, why not give a top athlete, you know, a little bit of freedom to, you know, branch out? Exactly, and on that note, I mean, if you want to try something, by all means, however, be very mindful of not only your skill set, but also your schedule. Timing is everything. Yeah. And believe me, time is a very precious thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I kind of want to, you know, shift gears a little bit because, you know, we're almost like, we got like nine more minutes left on the show. But, um, but yeah, I, I kind of want to touch a little bit on some fun facts about the Rolex 24. So um, the prize, I want to mention the, uh, you know, the mother load and the reason why these guys or these drivers are, are doing this race, but it's all about the end reward after spending, you know, a whole day being in a race car and going around the track and competing with, you know, a bunch of different drivers trying to, you know, knock you off your game. But the end goal for the Rolex 24 is to earn this very special watch. And the watch is a Rolex Oyster Perpetual Cosmograph Daytona. And this isn't an ordinary watch, but this watch is also engraved uh, on, the, on the bottom base of it saying 
winner of the, of the Rolex 24 at Daytona. It's an engraved watch, really special. You know, like it's, a, it's a plain Jane big face, you know, for all those watch, you know, uh, to use some, throw some watch the jargon out there. And I'm uh, pretty sure, you know, some watch viewers might know what I'm talking about when I say a plain Jane big face. So, but, um, but Terrell, I want to ask you this, man, just mm-hmm. by, you know, your knowledge of, you know, Rolex watches, and just the magnitude of why this watch has given us the prize or, or like the prize for the winner of the race. Like, I want you to guess how, what the retail price of the Rolex Oyster Perpetual Cosmograph Daytona would be. What do you think would be the real retail price if you decide to go to a Rolex store and buy it yourself? Let's see, I say it would have to be approximately $150,000, approximately, give or take. Ooh, just a little bit over, just a little bit over. Just a little bit over. Okay. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but again, like since watches, they're kind of they're, they're kind of used like cars. You know, like you got to get like the new car or the used car. But um, I would say like the used retail price for like this Rolex watch uh, in particular, is uh, like the starting price would be at forty five grand, and like like well for used, but. If you're talking about like a brand spanking new one, it could be it could range between you know like in the high high like in high six six thousand range, or um, you know like up to just about one hundred eight uh, or a uh, hundred thousand dollars. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean like it's a nice watch. You know, like if like if you if you guys Google like the Rolex Oyster. Perpetual Cosmograph, Daytona, you know, it's, it's a nice looking watch. And of course, you know, any Rolex is considered a nice Rolex, you know? Oh, so that was like a, that was maybe 10 grand. Oh my God. Fit, 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 like 50, 50 grand higher. 50 grand higher. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I said approximately 150,000 because I know like some, yeah. some Rolexes go into well over six figures. Oh yeah, six figures, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, well, uh, like, you know, you got other, like, you know, high-end brands, you know, like a uh, Richard Mill, uh, Tommy Hilfiger, um, uh, Philippe Petit, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, uh, <laughs> like Philippe Petit, or Pitpatic, yeah, like, you know, like, th- like those high-brand uh, watches, I mean, yeah, they, 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 like, those watches like that, they go up in the millions. I mean, like, I haven't found a Rolex yet that goes up in the millions, but I'm pretty sure there's one out there. And, um, you know, and I uh, like, I mean, like, you know, I'm a huge watch guy, you know, I love watches. So, you know, and yeah, yeah, I think it would be cool, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, like, you know, I'm a wrist watch guy, you know, I like, like, on the wrist, you know, like, good, good, you know, like, like, like flick the wrist, you know, like, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, yeah, like, you know, yeah, that, that's the prize watch for the, for the Rolex 24. But also another fun fact as well, um, Back in uh, like about a few years ago, famous actor and race car driver himself, Paul Newman, he actually was a former owner of a Rolex Daytona watch, and his and it was actually a gift for his uh, late wife, um, Joanne Woodward, I believe her name is. Yeah, um, like yeah, his, his late wife. But um, yeah, like that. But that watch, it, like Paul Newman's Rolex Daytona, was actually auctioned off for. Like you're not like you're gonna be astounded by this number. Like Paul Newman's Rolex Daytona watch was auctioned off for seventeen point seventy five million dollars. Just, just his watch. Just, just his watch. <laughs> just the watch itself. Just, just the watch. <laughs> you would think, man, like, like, wait, you didn't auction off his body? Like, no, 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 just the watch. 
That's it. That's the one. $17.75 million. So that's how much Paul Newman's Rolex Daytona watch was auctioned off for. What? I know. It's, it's bananas. <laughs> Just, wow. Just the watch. Okay. <laughs> we ain't talking about his car. We ain't talking about his house. Like an autograph assigned by him. Like his watch alone. Something. I don't no, not a painting that he owned, just his watch alone. Not even a family heirloom. No. No. Just a watch. Mm-hmm. Oh. And and like also there's there's a there's a saying that you never actually own a Rolex Daytona. Eventually your son or daughter simply inherits uh, inherits you, you and you place place on a waiting list. So mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, like hopefully you know. That like if you're if your son if you eventually become a race car driver and your son or daughter you know sees you running the Rolex Twenty Four and you all of a sudden win the race expect that waiting that like expect a long line of of fam- of, of your family tree to want to get that watch out of your inheritance because yeah believe me that watch is special as something to behold for a really long time and another one more fact before we sign off here. Um, it was said by Scott Pruitt, who was actually the all-time winner, or yeah, like the all- all-time wins leader for the Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona. Um, he, like he's a five-time Rolex 24 winner. That's how many like you know like Rolex 24s he's won. So he's got five Rolexes at home. So he and he and he quoted himself: "So he represented the watch engraved with winner after 24 hours of an intense racing is a moment that lives with you forever." Your Rolex is a constant reminder of the perseverance and hard work that goes into succeeding at the highest level. So and that kind of that really kind of sums up how, you know, like just the magnitude of this race and just like the rewards and you know, like like the risk and reward that's given at the end. I mean, you know, it's a very special it's a, it's a special occasion to behold like a, a one of the biggest spectacles in motor racing. Uh, yeah, and that's all the reason why you guys should be tuning in tomorrow at 3.30 p.m. Eastern, 12.30 Pacific time uh, on NBC to watch the Rolex 24 hours of Daytona. Also, before you guys sign off, remember to go on our, to go on our website and follow our store for page, Real Dealers Club, a brand with a real deal mm-hmm. attitude. And look for a new piece called Survival. I think you guys would be very pleased. And be on the lookout for a very special promo code within the next, I say, 48 hours. Mm. And with that, I think we are going to sign off. Uh, thank you all again for listening to the Real Deal Bros podcast slash radio show. We are actually, this is our first, this is our return back to WSG Radio, the number one college radio station in New York. And we want to say thank you all. Thank you to the, thank you to the crew back in uh, Queens. You know, I'm like holding it down for us, definitely allowing us to be able to do this show on the air. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I miss you guys. You know, I, I'm hoping to be back there in the fall. And uh, yeah, I also wish everybody, you know, like a safe weekend. I know I'm like classes started back up again at St. John's. And I know everybody's like, oh, here we go again, class. But hey, you know, like, like, it, like it, we, we've come to find out that even, even in remote learning uh, during a pandemic, like, like, like the semester flies by like, flies by real fast so you know it's not going to be long and yeah it's Terrell's showing if you guys are watching YouTube live stream make sure you guys are wearing the mask like Terrell's actually back okay actually like before like I know I hopefully hopefully they keep us on for four minutes but like 
Sure, like, like, I'll bet you, you know, give everybody an update of what the vibe's been like on campus during, you know, COVID. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? Okay, so um, on my way to campus, uh, there has been a whole lot of um, high demand for COVID tests. You and know, I saw the lines. I saw a lot of the lines were. Yeah, the lines went from Taffner all the way to Gate 6. That's how long those lines were. Like, um, when I first moved in on the first 96 hours, on maybe, was it Inauguration Day? It was the 20th. I got my first COVID test on Inauguration Day and then my second COVID test sometime around Friday when I was okay. during um, four-day quarantine process. And if you guys know about the four-day quarantine process, you would understand. Um, I did mine early. Like, it was freezing cold. Everybody was, like, maybe in sweatpants and sweatshirts, and that's about all they had on. Those <laughs> are from what I could see. And then you had, like, the lunch rush, so the line went even longer. And I believe it went all the way back to Union Turnpike. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And it would take, like... <laughs> a week for everybody to get their COVID test results. Some came back negative and I can't really, I don't really know what everybody else came back. But I know for me, I came back negative three times because I went to, um, thank you, thank you, thank you. I test, I test three times because you know, I use my I use my mask, my mask is my vaccine. You see, look, like Terrell, for everybody that's on campus, for all the real dealers back on campus, be like Terrell, be responsible with COVID. And if you don't have a mask, use your scarf and then double up. If your mask is wet, double up on a mask. Put a paper towel within there so that way the moisture can be collected. And by any means necessary, wear your mask. I lead by example, as you can see. Yeah, practice, gotta, gotta practice, practice what you preach. Practice what you preach, man. Absolutely. Wash your hands, disinfect your surfaces. I wouldn't trust the campus disinfecting wipes. I bring my own... Um, Matter of fact, let me show you. Let me show you. <laughs> Grab it for us. Yeah, boys up in here. Clorox disinfectant. Awesome. All right. Thanks every day. All right. Well, hey, hey, you, hey, you heard you heard from Tim himself. <laughs> hey, you heard from Terrell himself. Yeah, make sure you guys are staying safe. Make sure you guys are, you know. Social distance, you know. I know, like, yeah, it definitely feels weird to be back on campus. But yeah, but uh, yeah. But don't open it all the way, so that way you can mm -hmm. keep some fresh air moving in. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. Oh yeah, I think you know that's gonna wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, thank you all again for listening to the Real Dope Bros podcast slash radio show here on the YouTube live stream and WSG Radio, the number one college radio station in New York. Definitely want to wish everybody a good night. Have a safe weekend. Definitely enjoy the race tomorrow if you're going to be watching. And as always, make sure to keep it real. All right. Night, everybody.